Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this time this afternoon that we have to study a little bit more into your word and into what you want to share with us this afternoon, uh, especially in terms of the mistakes that have happened in the past in, in ministry lines. And Lord, we know that you that this gospel should have been preached unto every nation in just a few years, uh, a long time ago. And unfortunately, humanity was not willing to cooperate fully with divinity, and therefore it didn't get preached unto every nation so quickly. And so now we're in this endeavor to, to want to find out the, 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 the major mistakes that have happened in the past so that we do not do them um, again but that we can learn from them and, and, um, and really focus on advancing the work in, a, in, a, in a, the most successful way possible. And Lord, we know that the foundation of that is, is to depend upon you and depend upon the Holy Spirit. So we invite the Holy Spirit this afternoon to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so this morning we started with the, the biggest points of the ten, the top ten um, mistakes in starting a ministry, okay, in starting ministry or also running a ministry. Often, you know, they're very similar. They're almost the same in many cases. Some are just a little bit more specific. So, the first one, the first one we studied this morning, the the entire first hour. Which one was it? So the so that the new people. Remember? Uh -huh. Yeah, balance between ministry and business. Actually, we focus so much on ministry, we think ministry is the, is the spiritual uh, thing, and we think that business is actually not spiritual. And so, um, welcome. And so because we think that business, you know, that there's actually a discrepancy between ministry and business, then we, we demonize business and we just put ministry as this is spiritual and, and business is kind of worldly and secular, right? And so because of this, um, there's, there's, we've had huge, huge implications and we talked about this this morning which we're not going to go into, but that's what the thing. Ellen White says, religion and business are not two separate things. They are one. Yes, yes. Christ's Object Lessons 349, right? That is, the, that is the basis, right, is actually to put ministry and business into one unit and see that actually business should also be spiritual and is spiritual and is positive. And, and the accumulation of wealth is actually a desire implanted into us by God himself for noble ends, right? For do, advancing the work of God. Not to make ourselves rich, which is what the rest of the world does, but it's to advance the cause of God. So we will live, and by the way, I didn't mention this this morning, but the work of God started in a very sacrificial way, right? And the work in the time of the end will, will end with even more sacrifice than with which it started, right? So just because we're, we, we, we make money or make profit has nothing to do with how we live. We won't live 
fa with fancy houses and cars and all this other nonsense. You know, no, we will invest the money into the work and advance the work of, of God. So that's the first and, and probably most important point of all of the mistakes that we've done, that we've made in the past in, in starting a ministry, thinking that we are not allowed to make profit and all these kind of things. So first one. Second one is fanaticism, right? Fanaticism is the way we interpret Ellen White, uh, especially Ellen White, also the Bible, right? And we saw the principles on how we should, or some principles that help us balance out true theology and common sense are to be used. And also time and place must be considered when you're reading about, about, uh, about different things. And all the testimonies, which means all the texts and verses that talk about a certain topic should be taken into consideration. Otherwise, you get off balance, exactly. And you get into fanaticism. And you start focusing on things that actually the Bible is not focusing on that strongly. And we love doing that, right? We love doing that. We love, we fall in love with one verse. And, and the verse that doesn't agree with us, we just kind of neglect, you know. We just leave it outside of the handbook, you know. And so, and so then, we're, and then we get into this unbalanced way of, of looking at things. Now, number three is starting without a plan, okay? Oh, this is a common, it's such a common mistake that we make, especially in Christian circles. Why do we do this in Christian circles? Why have, do we have this issue of planning? Why do we not plan? Or Yeah, we do it out of faith. Thank you, yes. God will make up for our deficiencies, right? We don't need a lot of training for it, or we don't need to do all these, all this planning and business plans and all this stuff. This is that just demonstrates a lack of faith. <laughs> we think like this very often. Some people, right? Yeah. So planning, and and here's the thing: the production plant for people that don't like planning. You know what it is? What it's called? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say this this way, but. It's mission schools, okay? <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. I am thoroughly in favor of mission schools. You know me. I, I, this is what I've been doing my whole life. But we have a tendency, and the tendency is this, that when people come, they're so focused on doing it the worldly way that we try to tell them, we try to teach them to do it God's way. And God's way is not your plan. You cannot plan for your life. You, we know these quotes from Ellen White. You know, she says these quotes, they're very strong. We're not able to plan our lives for ourselves, right? And, and all of our plans are worth nothing, right? If God is not in it, and so forth. And so, but we use these quotes, we like these quotes, but then we forget the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin, which is, what is it? What is it? Oh, this is not an Ellen White quote, but this is this is the common this is the common. I was just gonna. If you plan to fail, hey, excuse me. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah, this is the this is the point. When Jesus Christ, this is actually the perfect balance. Jesus says in Steps to Christ, page seventy, 
She says, we should pray this prayer every day. This is the coolest thing. Here's the balance. She says, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my, what? Plans at thy feet. Now, if you don't plan, what are you going to lay at Jesus' feet every morning? Nothing. That's right. So it is very important that we actually plan. But because we cannot plan our lives for ourselves, we need to surrender that plan to God every day. And the rest of the quote actually explains what, why we should do that. It's so that God can direct our plans to, to be put into practice according to His providence or to be laid aside if the, according to how the Lord would indicate, right? So we actually need to have a plan. But we learn in mission schools, it's, the, it's the, the best place to teach them. You know, it's like you cannot plan for yourself. And actually, and everybody gives testimonies afterwards saying, I planned my whole life. I, each time I try to make a plan for my life, what happens? God comes in and changes it all around. This is why I'm at the mission school. You know what I mean? This happens, okay? This is all the time. And so, and so people learn, instead of learning to surrender their plans and, and lead actually lead a life dependent on God, depending on for God to, to allow Him to change the plan every day, right? To adjust it every day. We, instead of doing that, we learn to just... Not plan. Yeah. And then we're stuck. And then, we're, and then what happens? We go back. We're done with mission school. And then I ask them, so what are you going to do after, after you're done? You know what they all say? We'll let the Lord lead. I don't know. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? I have no idea. And it means that what's going to kick in if you don't decide, if you don't, if you don't plan yourself? What, what kicks in? Well, well, nature kicks in, right? And what's nature? Well, it's your past. It's who you are, right? And so you go back. You go back into your old environment. We've seen this. I don't know if you've lived around mission schools, but this is, how, this is what happens. And then they go back into their old environment. They go back into their old things, and they continue doing the, the, their worldly program the way they've always done it. Why? Because they never made a plan to not go with the stream. If you don't plan to go against the stream, well, then the stream will pull you down, right? And you'll just swim right with it. And that's, this is the power of planning, actually. It's the power of planning is to be able to go against the common, the common uh, road. So this is very important. Ellen White is all over about, about planning, so there's not only those other quotes where it says we shouldn't plan or we can't plan. Of course, we, and why shouldn't we plan? Why, should, why, why can we not plan? How Ellen White says, it's clear. Well, without the Holy Spirit, you know, we really cannot do anything. All of our plans are faulty, and they are faulty. Even if we do plan, and we should plan, but they are faulty. Now, she does say, Education 262, success in any line demands what? A definite aim. He who would achieve true success in life must keep steadily in view the aim worthy of his endeavor. That, my friends, is a plan. Right? It's an aim. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? 
Well, that's certainly a plan. And we need to keep it steadily in view, right? And it better be to save souls, amen, right? And, and, and everything else, the details, God is going to adjust it according while you're walking. But if you're not walking, well, then God cannot, God cannot push you. I mean, I shouldn't say push you around. It's like God cannot guide you. Yeah, that's the right word. So, so this, is, this is, is very key. It's key. And many people, welcome, many people, when they plan or when they, when they, when they plan for a ministry, especially in the startup phase, um, if they don't plan, then it becomes an erratic ministry. Erratic. You know what erratic means? It means, it means random. It means they're just doing stuff here and doing stuff there, and everything is considered a, a providential indication that this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. I've been through this in Honduras. We, you know, it's like in, in actually in business, in the business world, they talk about this, the organizational cycle. And in the startup phase, then you get into the go-go years. This is what they call it, the go-go years. And what it means is you get so zealous about everything that you start getting into everything. Okay? And this is what we were doing in Honduras. We, we started getting into this, into that. We started getting into an elementary school. And then at the same time, we started an agriculture. We bought a tamarind plantation. And then, we, then, we, then we started, we were trying to get a lifestyle center going. And then, we, and then at the same time, we had, we, had, um, we, had to, we had the mission school going. And then we got the, the, the church going. And everything all happened at just about the same time. It's like, what kind of a recipe is that? You know? Yes, yes. It's, it's going to, at some point, something gonna, is going to collapse, right? And so it, for us, it was actually the lifestyle center that took the, took the hit, right? It was until later that then now, now there's a lifestyle center going, and it's very successful now in, in, in time, right? But if we had had it, I mean, yeah, we just, you know, so then we waste a lot of money, we waste a lot of time, a lot of talent, a lot of people doing a lot of things that if we had, if we had just planned our way, we would have not made such a, such a mess at the beginning, you know? <laughs> so um, we're just trying to learn to not make these messes, right? And so, so this is a, this is a major, and Planning, uh, the other way of saying this is, is to plan with the end in mind. So we need to think, and this is very important, also with our lives personally, we need to think about what is our ministry going to look like when it's done. That's the definite aim, right? We need to think about, imagine what it's going to look like when it's done so that when, so that I can really filter down what is the next step that I need to do now. If we don't do that, if we don't have a vision, every company, every successful company, every Fortune 500 company has a strategic plan with the strategy is to get from A to B, right? And B is the vision. It's where you're wanting to go, right? What you're wanting to be in the future. And so it's actually a very biblical principle that that um, that every startup, even when they're starting with uh, whatever they're starting with, the the big picture needs to be in the plan. But when we start, we don't start with the big picture. Amazon 
did not start with a store for everything. That's not how they started. You know what they started with? Just books. Yeah, that was the only thing that they sold. Right? And they got into market with that. They already had the name Amazon. You know, Amazon is the image of this huge river taking over everything, right? That's the whole... They already had the plan of taking over the entire world, which they have, but they started with just one segment, right? And, and so, but they started with the end in mind. They had everything, the whole structure, everything, the infrastructure, the internet platform, everything they did, they did it with a plan of right, taking over the world. So that's very, that's very important as we do our ministries. We, we, we act very local, very small, simple, and soon, but at the same time, we think big. We think in terms of what it's supposed to end up like, what God's vision is for that place, right? For that project, for that business, for that ministry. Gospel Workers 416, there must be far more personal responsibility, far more thinking and planning, far more mental power brought into the labor put forth for the master. This would enlarge the capacity of the mind and give keener perceptions to, as to what to do and how, how to do it. All enterprises in temporal, earthly things prosper in proportion to the wisdom, tact, and concentration of powers, our powers, our, our thinking capacity, our energy, concentration of powers exercised in acquiring the desired object. Oh, wow. That's Review and Herald, March 1, 18. 87. This is, this to me is, is very good. Huh? It means we really need to put every bend, every habit, you know, Ellen White says it in a different, in a different location, bend every habit to achieve that desired aim. Huh? And so if we do that, then success, success will be based on the concentration of powers exercised to acquire that desired object. Wow. Yeah. Very, very important. Just so must it be in our Christian enterprises. We must work according to God's work. There must be wise planning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we need to plan. All right. Okay. Planning our lives. I don't know if you know this, this, these four quadrants. If you've never heard of it. It's very good. It's, it's one of the best exercises I've done for my own life to reevaluate my whole life and see if I'm actually really, really spending time on the things that are most important. Put it on in the four quadrants of what is important and here. What is urgent and important. What is urgent and not important. What is not urgent but important and what is important uh, what is not urgent and not important yeah so you have those four quadrants and what is the most important quadrant of all of these huh bottom right top right this one is urgent and important you all agree Here's the thing, the, the quadrant, the activities that are 
in one of these quadrants always gets crammed out, never gets done. Which one is it? The, no. That's right. This one. The German one. Yeah, I didn't translate this one. The, the important one is very important. Actually, the most important things, almost all most important things, are in this quadrant that are very important but not urgent. For instance, all relationships, they're usually not urgent. Your family, it's not urgent, you know? But it's very important. That's, that's some of the most important things that we have, and, but we don't spend time on it because all the, all the urgent stuff keeps cramming into our lives and, and it crams out everything that is most important, actually is most important to us. And so this quadrant really helps to rethink our, our, um, our lives, to get rid of everything that is not important, not important and not urgent, like Facebook and and stuff like that, right? Some struggle with that, some not, you know. We should use Facebook for good things to evangelize our friends and so forth, but but we can it's easy to get sucked in and get hooked, right? There's a whole book written about this. It's called Hooked. That's what the book is called. It's how Facebook is has designed itself so that you you automatically feel hooked, okay? Into it, okay? So yeah, anyway, we could talk a lot about this. But this, I encourage you, do a list, write a list of all the activities that you do and that you want to do and put it in here and see where these things fit. The most effective people, this is from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. Okay? I encourage you to read it. This this. It really changes um, your focus. Yeah. You, it gives you uh, an understanding of where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. If you're going to reach your goal, then what is it that you need to sp be spending time on? I went from after reading this book, from before to after, I started reading. Immediately, I started having, I had, suddenly I, I started reading 25 books a year from reading like one or two books a year. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Man, it changed my life. Suddenly, I, I realized where I had time to do certain things. And I started actually maximizing my time. And suddenly, I was able to do a whole bunch of stuff that I was never able to do. To do continual development. That's a, that's a non-urgent, very important, but non-urgent thing, right? Many of us, we just... We just get to our work, and then we never advance anymore in our, in our minds. And so, and so the, this is what helps you realize, oh, wow, this is actually really important. I need to dedicate some time to this. Where am I going to dedicate time in my schedule and so forth? So it really, really helps. And this is for, an, for, a, for a personal life is very important, but just as important is for the company to be able to determine all of their activities in this to, to not f go off track, right? We can get caught very quickly doing all kinds of things. Here. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. 
Next point. Next point is focus. The power of focus. Number four. The power of focusing. Focusing your product, focusing your service, whatever you're doing, your business, is to, f is to really focus. There's a book written on this. It's called, here it is. It's called Focus yeah, by Al Rice. He, he wrote one of the most known books for marketing, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And he wrote this book on focus. Focus because the future of your company depends on it. And so he goes through a whole bunch of stories on how companies, as soon as they have unfocused their main their main purpose for existence, they actually lose their entire, their entire business. For instance, Mercedes-Benz. The car that was known for being a luxurious car was which car? It was Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. That was the car. If you wanted to feel like you're driving in a luxury car, you're going to buy a Mercedes-Benz. And, and they did a good job, and they, they had very expensive, they were very expensive and so forth, and only executives were able to buy these kind of cars. But they, had, they got a new CEO, and the CEO, chief executive officer, he decided we're going to make a lot more money if we make a, a little bit of a cheaper uh, Mercedes-Benz. $30,000 Mercedes-Benz, not just $60,000 Mercedes-Benz. If we do a $30,000 Mercedes-Benz, we're going to sell so many of them because the whole population is going is gonna, to is gonna feel like they're driving a Mercedes-Benz, right? And so, and, so, and so that's what they did. And they were very successful. For about six years, exactly six years, they were very successful. And their selling rates were so high because suddenly all of the employees could also buy a Mercedes-Benz, not, not just the CEO, right? After six years, you know what happened? How does a CEO feel when all their employees are also driving their same cars? They're going to go get a car that really represents who they are, right? And so immediately, the main target market that they had for Mercedes-Benz decided not to buy any of their cars anymore. So after six years, sales dropped, you know, CEO got fired, and so forth, right? And it was all because of short-term benefit for themselves, but they unfocused, unfocused their their main purpose. The car that actually has had, for the last at least 40 years, has had the most stable and highest sales worldwide. You know which one it is? No? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Volvo. Volvo. Believe it or not. Volvo. Why Volvo? Because Volvo has stuck to one thing, what they're known for, 
the one and only thing that they're known for? Safety. Safety. That's right. That's right. Safety. Everything that they do, everything, the cars, even the way they design them, the boxy car, you know, the boxy way of, of designing, the, everything is always wider on the bottom than on the top. And so It's all to give the idea, whether it's true or not, who, who knows, but it's all about giving the idea that this car is safer than all the other cars. They brought out a statistic that the, 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 how many people die in Volvos in accidents versus all the other cars, and they have a better rate, right, and so forth. So they try to, they try to brand it. Everything that they do is all about safety, and they've never, ever changed that. That's all they do is safety, and they've had the most stable sales of all the cars, in the whole car industry. Very interesting, huh? So this is a good lesson for us to learn in ministry because we have, for instance, um, many, many sanitariums. And if you just think about it, talking about specialization and generalization, just think about it. Let's say you have diabetes. You've had diabetes for the last 20 years. Your doctor gives you your, your, your medication and you just live off of them, and you live with diabetes type 2, and, and you just you feel like there's no solution to this. But then you hear of this place that says that they, they heal diabetes naturally. Uh, sounds, like, sounds like an Adventist place, right? They also, they heal diabetes. They call up the, this, this place, right? Somebody told them they do diabetes. So they call them up, and... And what do we tell them? Uh, what do you guys heal? Oh, we do. We heal obesity. We heal diabetes. We heal hypertension. We also heal uh, cancer. If you have Lyme's disease, you can also come. If you have uh, uh, all kinds of diseases, any of these diseases, we're going to heal them, right? Right? This is how we do it, right? I'm not making this up. This is, this is how our sanitariums, you know, they lost. They'll heal everything. And so, and so, and I'm not saying that's completely wrong. It's not wrong. It's true, right? It is, a, it is the solution for all these things. It is, yeah, it is a good solution for all these things. But here's the thing. The person thinking from the perspective of the patient, 20 years diabetes, they're trying to get rid of diabetes. So they call this place, it heals everything. And then they call another place called the Diabetes Institute, and the only thing they heal is what? That's right. Where are you going to go? You have had 20 years of diabetes. Why? Huh? They have to know more than the other ones, right? Now, is that true? Not necessarily. Not at all, right? It could be that, that these guys know much more, right? This is why they figured out how to do all this. But this is not how the mind works. This is the interesting thing. The mind always tends to try to specialize. And so I, if I have a child and, I have, and, and it's sick, I'm not going to go to a general doctor, right? Who am I going to go to? Yeah, it's going to be a pediatrician, right? This is, how, this is how we think, right? They must know more. And so, and so we tend to lose a lot of people 
to all these other places because we are so general and we think it's better to be more general because then we can reach more people. But what happens? The cancer patients, where do they go? The cancer institutes, right? And the diabetics, they go there. And so we tend to lose a lot of people because we're not focused, right? So unfocusing is, is going to, is bound to eventually destroy our, our, our target market. So it's better to focus on a smaller market, but really design everything around that market. It's very important to engineer our product around a certain market, you know, is if you're going to reach rich people, everything better make the impression that, that, that rich people like, okay? It's very important. It's very important. If, if, if you get rich people and then you get fake stuff, you know, rich people, they, they touch here, you know, they want to make sure it's, it's real, you know? And so, and so everything, everything from the paint, from the, I mean, appearance and all this stuff that is seemingly unimportant, it makes them feel comfortable or not so comfortable, right? And as soon as you have less and a less engineered product, then the people will, will not have that magical experience, you know? that in, in any, any McDonald's that you've ever gone into, the experience is exactly the same, right? It's exactly the same. It's the same, same smell, same music, same, same product. French fries, worldwide, exactly the same franchise, uh, French fries, right? There's nothing different about it. Why? It's so predictable. This is why people like it. They, they, don't get, they don't get one treatment today and another treatment the next day, right? They want it to be consistent. And so, so the, these things are very important in terms of really focusing in on, focusing in on, um, on, our, on our target, yeah? on our target market. This is what it's called, target market. If we do that, Oh man, they feel much better. They feel much more comfortable with, with, with coming to us. And we can actually become better in a, in a way because everything then is about that certain thing, right? And so, uh, yeah, next point. Any questions? Questions concerning this last, the last two points? Planning. Focusing, yeah? The thing is just you have to do master. It's like a jack-of-all-trade, but master of none. After you've mastered that which you were good at, then you can look to venture out to different things. It's just like Apple and McDonald's and all of these other franchises. After they've mastered that one thing, and then they venture out slowly but surely to different things. Yeah, although the, the thing is this. The focus, the, the law of focus tells us that we, when we venture out to do any, what is called a, a so-called line extension, right? It must be exactly within the, the, the narrow focus that you are doing. 
If you don't do it in that focus, you do something else, then, then you, we will lose the main target you know, that we're looking for. So this is, this is, the, this is the, the law of focus. Yeah. Okay. Um, we take a break? Shall we take a break? We have, we have an hour and a... When is it supposed to be done? At five? At five. So we've got 40 minutes. Shall we take a break or shall we just go through, finish it? Go through? Okay, let's go for it. Okay. Lesson number... F is it five? I think we're number five. Five. Uh, the, the mistake number five, finding the wrong team. Yeah. Okay. The lesson to be learned is finding the, the right team. Okay. Is finding the right team. This is not so easy. Usually we, especially in ministry, we just like to get whoever comes. Right. <laughs> I've made this mistake. Okay. And it's, it's, it's hard because... You have a need to be filled, and you just need to fill it, you know. And if you don't fill it, who's going to do it? Me, right? So, 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 but sometimes, you know, I could tell you stories. Uh, it's, it's really important. It's really important to be able to really wait for the right people to come, for the right people to come. We had, we employed some people in Honduras. I'd rather talk about Honduras and and about other places. Um, you know, we, we, we hired people to do certain things. We didn't know them very well. You know, they're just right to us. And we think, oh, sounds fantastic. He's a builder and he can do all this stuff. You know, they come with a, with a time commitment of five years. You know, you think, wow, this is going to be great. You know, and then we, and then it comes. Uh, and it just makes your life miserable, you know, and you, because you don't know them, you don't know their character, and, and, and uh, it just really messes everything up, their, their ways of thinking about, about standards and reforms and all this other stuff, you know, it's, it's, and, and it creates, uh, anyway. So, so, so the, the blessing for us, the blessing was that eventually, you know, actually within a fairly short amount of time, they, they, they were not able to endure that, so they left. Right? So I, we're like, well, praise the Lord. You know, but we're not allowed. We, we almost feel like obligated not to fire people. And, it's, and it, that's also another issue which we're not going to go into. But, but, um, but if, you, if you get the right people on board from the beginning, then you won't have all these problems um, with... All these things, right? And, and how so, do you do it? Huh? How do you find the right people? Well, yeah. it's 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 really based on knowing, getting to know people, right? And if if it's worth spending a lot of time talking with these people, getting references, not cutting any corners, not trying to just get them into the job. But let's go to your example. You are there in Honduras, you need somebody to build, somebody offers themselves, they say, you know, we can do, what do you do? You don't have the money to say, you know, come here, look at your, our place, and, 
we started then with applications because we got burnt so many times. We started doing applications and then with references and then we started doing more like with Skype interviews and we started doing Facebook checking and we started doing you know, all kinds of things, right? <laughs> and so you start, you start really seeing a better picture of who they really are because they can also just tell you something. I mean, student applications, we could talk about this forever, right? That's right, with probationary time. Yeah, different, different, different things that we can do. And if possible, if any way possible, meet them in person, you know, uh, work with them on a project, maybe contract on a contract basis first and things like that before you really uh, get them in on board. And the, the idea actually in, in if, this is even an industry standard in Silicon Valley, they will tell you, try to hire as few people as you possibly can and as late as you possibly can. Right? We tend, especially when we're starting up, we tend to want to make it sound like we got a lot of people working with us and we're doing this and it sounds good and stuff. And, and it's just blah, blah. You know, we need to, it's actually better and, and, and the focus is really to try to do as much as possible in the beginning by ourselves until it grows so much that, that we will need to. Uh -huh. We can't do it anymore. And then over many times, especially the first ones, you know, the core team, the core team is the most important. If, if, if you get wrong people in your core team in the early stage, it's almost impossible to get them out if they're, if they're not, if they're not uh, gelling right and, and they have such a strong influence on the whole business or on the whole institution, on the ministry, that, um, that e either it will just you know, continue lagging along like, like, you know, and you just kind of do whatever you need to do, but, or, or in many cases, it will actually destroy the business or the ministry. Yeah. In many cases, if it doesn't gel and, you know, and, and so forth. So it's good to find the, the right people. And it's more important to get the right people on the bus and then decide with the group of people where we're going to go with the bus. You know, that's a, this is a, a good principle. And, um, this book here, Good to Great, if you've, if you've never read it, fantastic book. It's like talking about the difference between a good company and a great company. And, and it's interesting because I think all of the principles that, he sh that they researched on all of their businesses that they analyzed, the greatest companies, they all follow these some basic simple principles and they're all biblical principles. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like they talk about the humility, servant leadership of a leader and you know, of a CEO and all this stuff. It's very amazing. Not from a Bible perspective. It's just from analyzing how the best businesses run. And they all identify these biblical principles. Jim Collins. Very, very, very good um, book. So I want to share with you one video, a very nice video, that, um, that is also very useful and is one of the major characteristics for successful people. It'll share what the major characteristics are, or one major characteristic of typically successful people in ministry and in business and in life in general. It's a, it's a law. So let's watch this shortly. Let's see if it works.
How do we make this loud? It's five minutes. I'm here because I have a very important message. I think we have found the most important factor for success. And it was found close to here, Stanford. Psychology professor took kids that were four years old and put them in a room all by themselves. And he would tell the child, four-year-old kid, Johnny, I'm going to leave you here with a marshmallow for 15 minutes. If after I come back this marshmallow, <coughs> you will get another one. So you will have two. To tell the child to wait 15 minutes for something that they like, it's a good to tell us, we'll bring you coffee in two hours. I think we got the point, right? <laughs> very good. It's a very good. Uh, I, I would like to do this test with some wild kids. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> See how high we score, you know? Yeah, you can predict. You can predict quite a bit of the future, you know? So the Lord can even change that, you know? It's not, that's not actually a determining factor because, because of the Holy Spirit, but it definitely gives your 
your direction, right? If you're able to do this, then you will, and, and if your partners, if your workers are, are able to delay immediate success for long-term success, then your, the ministry will also um, most probably be successful. Yes? The man that designed the, the study, you know, in the 60s, he, he was curious to know afterwards how, if it is, this is teachable. Mm. And he did more experiments, and they found out that you can teach these skills to the kids. Mm -hmm. So it is, like you said, it's not determinant. You can teach them, and I think that uh, you know some some of the things that the Lord tells us to do, and uh, you know having space between not eating between the meals and all this is a is in itself a training. Yeah, yeah, but that's right. But especially if it comes from inside. That's right, and actually, I, I you know I like that the, the Adventist message is actually designed to train people with delayed gratification. It's all about getting success in heaven. You know, uh, the, all of these principles are we're working now to get some, you know, to get something in the future and and yeah, not eating in between meals. The, all of these principles, you know, they help us to actually develop the right habits to not just follow, follow your heart, you know, but actually follow principle. And uh, all of these things make an impact. So, OK, next point, untactfulness. Is it? Yeah. Untactfulness. Untactfulness, oh man, is a big, big issue, okay? Especially, and I'm talking untactfulness, especially in terms of evangelism. Very often, we have good ministries, but they fail because they're too, too, too direct or too fast to share everything, you know, to share the three angels' messages when, when first they want to just see a sermon, not hear one, you know what I mean? And so this, is, this becomes uh, a, big, a big issue. And this is in terms of all kinds of things, even in terms of branding. If you, for instance, I was at a, I, we were visiting a, a, a ministry, a center of influence in, uh, in a country in South America, I'm not going to say, <laughs> country in South America. And it was very interesting because we were talking to the guy and they had such a great center of influence going. They had lawyers working there you know, uh, giving counsel to the community for, for legal stuff, for all kinds of issues. They had, they, had, uh, they had doctors, they had physicians, they had clothes, giving out clothes and all kinds of things. Big, nice, nice program. And, and, uh, and, and he told me, the leader, he told me, yeah, but somehow people are not coming, you know. They kind of, I don't know, they kind of distrust us, you know. And so we're a little bit worried because we have all these good things, why wouldn't they come? These are big needs in the community. We know that there are needs in the community, but why are they not coming? <laughs> so I asked them one question, one question. And, and I, I asked them, so how do you present yourself? Right? I'm saying if people are like resistant, even though the product is good, it's something's wrong with the presentation of it. And so I asked him that, and he said, well, it's called um, the Adventist Center of Influence. <laughs> so I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, and he, he didn't know what, what, I, what was wrong. You know, like he's just like, yeah, this is what it's called, the Adventist Center of Influence. And so I'm like, so, so let me ask you another question. Would you go to the Mormon Center of Influence? <laughs> and, and suddenly he's like, 
I get it, you know, <laughs> immediately caught it. And I was like, duh, yeah, you're telling them, come here and we'll, we're going to influence you. We're going to try to convert you. You know, I was like, of course nobody's coming, right? So it's very important that we follow the laws, you know, <laughs> some common sense there. No, but also, like, we just need to realize that, that um, actually, Ellen White really showed this in a very nice way. She says, when we enter a country or a city, we should enter not with the, not with the church building. What should we enter with first? What should be the first thing we do in a community? The yeah, we should start with the sanitarium work, actually. We should put up a sanitarium, start healing everybody that comes, and we share the gospel through the sanitarium, and out of that will grow all these churches everywhere, right? But what do we do? We're so decided for no delayed gratification. We're so excited for baptizing and being able to share. We have got 20 baptisms, and we, baptize, we, we got a church planted that we cut out the first two years or so that we need the sanitarium to break down all the prejudice so people can know us not for, not for all this theology, but actually for just for doing good and, and amazingly good things, right, with all these healings and miracles and things that happen at all these lifestyle centers. And, and for, just because we cut a corner, two years of cutting corner, that prejudice that is built into the community if we go into the, in directly with the gospel, is, is, it's years and years and years of, of very, very difficult to get into people's minds that we're actually here to help people. We're actually here to live the gospel in practice and not just to try to steal sheep from everybody else, you know? And so this, is, this is, has been an issue, has been an issue in many countries. Even in our own community in Honduras, we had the same, same situation happen, um, unfortunately. And, and this, is, this, is, this to me is, is very, very important, especially in the more secularized, uh, the more postmodern the, the, the culture, the more difficult it is or the more tactful we have to be in, in sharing the gospel with people. So, so you're saying that in average two years it takes for the, the med commissioner and the sanitarium to be there to... Well, it all depends how big the city is, right? How, how fast you get known. If it's a bigger city, it takes a little bit longer. But, but yes, you just start with that and you start small church communities with the people that come out of the lifestyle center. Right, that that are or with restaurants or with health food stores, so they it, it produces it naturally, right? And not we go in and just try to baptize everybody, and then they're not really committed to it all because they didn't see the gospel in practice so much, and and all of these kind of things. So medical missionary work, when Ellen White says we should we should bring medical missionary work first, it's a branding question, it's a tactfulness question, it's actually it's. It's the natural way we, we do things. We, we need to, it's Christ's method, you know, is we minister to people's needs first, right? And then he bade them follow me, right? So we show sympathy for them. We minister to them. We mingle with them. And then when they're ready, we win their confidence. That's exactly, that's the point. That's the key. When we've won the confidence of the community, 
Then we can bid them to follow Jesus and they will immediately, immediately follow him, right? Because, because we've done the pre-work. But if we don't do the pre-work, then we're stuck. So country life Prague in, 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 Aust- in, in, um, in Czech Republic, they, they actually have a very, very intelligent system on how to, how to reach people in a such tactful way because everything is so atheistic. If you just mention Jesus Christ, people think you're stupid if you're, if you, if you're a Christian, right? And so it's, not, it's, it's much more hostile than in, let's say, in Latin America where if you say you're a Christian, actually, if you're not a Christian in Latin America, it's kind of like, can we trust that guy, you know? <laughs> but here, and especially in, in Europe, it's completely the opposite. And so they have figured out a system. They have actually now about 10 health food stores all over, the, all over Prague. They have three restaurants. They have a big wholesale, big organic farm, and all kinds of things, and a gluten-free shop, and they have a natural cosmetics shop, and all kinds of things. And these guys, they, all of these things that they do, it's all ov- not overtly Christian and all this stuff, but it's... But it's just helping the community. It's bringing them into the organic movement. And they all come there. And this is where they invite people to seminars, health seminars, and, and uh, mental health seminars, forgiveness seminars, all these kind of things, and cooking shows and all kinds of things. And then from the cooking shows, then they invite them, they make friends with them, and they invite them then to the Lifestyle Center. And the Lifestyle Center is actually run, and the seminars are run by a nonprofit, separate. But it's the same organization, but it's still, it's still a nonprofit, and there they can do more overt things so that the business doesn't get any wrong reputation, any b- uh, bad reputation or anything like that in the community, which can go very fast, right? And so, and so then in the Lifestyle Center, when they got two weeks to talk with them, that's when they start sharing much more about these things. They have, they have many baptisms from there, from that, because they go nice and tactfully bring them along until until they until they can and they actually have on this restaurant in this restaurant on the second floor right here is actually a church it's actually a church they run a church there on sabbath right this is their lecture hall during the week and it's also church on sabbath talking about business and evangelism connecting right yeah i wish all of our churches were restaurants or health food stores during the week or some kind of health clinic or something we could use our buildings for something instead of having to sit there empty all week, right, not being used, that's like, from a business perspective at least, that's like the, the most un, ineffective, inefficient um, building on the planet. It's churches. They're used two hours a week. Maybe if you do, if you have a prayer meeting, you know, you get an hour, one more hour. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, yeah, okay, more examples. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to share all these things. We don't have time. Lifestyle club. This is a lifestyle club in Norway that um, we started, my brother um, started. And they connect all, of, all kinds of ministries, even a healthy pizza shop, uh, physical therapy, ADRA, and so forth, all as part of this thing. Even the... Even the, the municipality is part of this lifestyle club to make that city the healthiest city in the country, and which was it's going very well, yeah, very well. And and they they have broken down the prejudice in the community towards Adventists because of this, because they're just here to 
to desire people's good and help them. And so it gains their confidence and people start, are starting to get more and more interested in the Adventist church just because of the lifestyle club and the friendships and so forth that are developed there. Ellen White says, like the Waldensians, that's the, the, the epitome of, of, um, of tactfulness, right? The Waldensians is to awaken a spirit of inquiry in them. Even in our lifestyle centers, Ellen White says, we should awaken a spirit of inquiry so we don't preach to them and tell them everything. No, they need to start asking questions. And when they ask questions, then they're ready to listen to the answer, right? And when they're ready, then we share. And so we should not have debates on theology and on our doctrines and so forth in our lifestyle centers, right? Ellen White says this. And yeah, anyway, the, the Waldensians, they did not just come and say, hey, this is what we believe. No, they, they actually came as Merchants, right? They were selling like jewelry and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know if we would still do that, but maybe, maybe it's a, it's a vehicle. In any case, they used it and to reach people and they shared then Bible truths with them when they were, when they, when they saw the spirit of inquiry in the, in the people. And so then they would share. They have to be very careful because otherwise they would they would actually die. Okay, next point. Imagination versus execution. Ellen White makes a very nice statement in the book Education. It says, we need men that know, that know how to think and act. Yeah. They have the power to think to, to akin to that of the Creator, right? We need, to, we, we need to have the combination, a perfect combination between the, our creative capacities, our imaginative capacities, imagination, which God, is, God has given us, sanctified magic, imagination, says Ellen White, right? And the execution part, the putting into practice part. Often, our personalities are on one side or on the other side, Right? We tend to be idea people, right? Dreams, visions, and plans. We can take over in our minds. Vision people, I'm, I'm more on that side. We, we can take over the entire world in just a few seconds, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, let's set up a franchise of uh, health foods all over the world, yeah? And it's, it doesn't take as much to be able to say that. But every process person, every execution person, you know, detailed, analytical, trying to, you know, keep things, you know, they see all the, all the issues with, well, how are you going to do that? That's impossible. You know, that, that's the immediate reaction, right? That's the, that's more the, the execution, the execution type of people, right? And so the, the, an entrepreneur, a, a startup, somebody who's going to start a ministry is, is really necessary to, to be able to balance both out. In, in our own personalities, in our own lives, so that we, so that yes, we need to have, we need to be visionaries. If we don't visionaries, then our ministry will never progress. Okay, but if we're not doers, then then we will just we will just be imagining things. I know a lot of people; they have genius ideas, great ideas, but they only talk about it, 
And they talk for years and years, you know, talk about the same thing. And I'm like, do it, you know, like, get your act together. Let, let's just sit down. Let me help you, you know, <laughs> like, here, you know, let's write it down, you know, make it happen. And, and so it's, it's actually, Honduras for me really helped me push myself into, into, the, into the doing side of, of things. So this is, is crucial for, for, especially for a startup, um, to get into, to really balance these things out, thinking and doing, and using both of the times. We, traditionally in self-supporting work, we're more actually on the execution side of things and less on the imagination side. And so we tend to be doing all day long, and then we have no time for planning. We have no time for thinking. We have no time for actually sitting down and saying, how am I doing? You know, it's like, no, we're so stuck. We're so busy mowing the lawn and getting everything ready and all this that we have no time to actually plan out the rest, you know, the, where are we going in the long run and so forth. And the other part that we were talking about. The next point is, oh yeah, is no social benefit. The next, this is the next big mistake. And the world is catching on to this faster than, than we could all imagine. They're starting to realize that business is not just for business. If business is just for business, in the long run, those businesses are not um, very successful. But the more they focus their business on actually benefiting people, it's called social entrepreneurship, helping people, also the people that cannot afford it necessarily, then suddenly um, they get tremendous tremendous um, traction right in the market so for instance uh, if I don't know if you know Tom's but there's a there's shoes Tom's shoes um, anybody that's into a, yeah for every pair that you buy of Tom's shoes they will fly to Africa and give a pair of shoes to somebody that doesn't have some that doesn't have any, right? And so they would—they actually built their entire business model is all about sharing the stories of helping people in Africa. And so everybody feels so great about buying a pair of shoes here because they know they made it so tangible, right? They know that when they buy these shoes, they're helping somebody in Africa, right? And so... <clears throat> um, this is called the social entrepreneurship um, aspect. I believe this is a big portion of what, um, what Ellen White actually talked about 100 years ago of what we're supposed to do. Now, this is like cutting edge right now. Everybody's like so into this, right, social entrepreneurship. But it's actually 100 years ago, Ellen White talked exactly about the same things, just with the other terminology. But she was saying we should, we should do sanitarian work, and if somebody cannot pay, what should we do? Yeah, we should figure out a system how we can support them and help them anyway and treat them just like we treat anybody else that is paying. Interesting, huh? But that doesn't just mean, you know, just bring anybody along, right? No, no. There's systems for that. If you don't make a smart system, then something will happen. Same thing will happen to 
to, to us or to you uh, like, happened, like what happened with the Battle Creek Sanitarium in the beginning, the Western Health Reform Institute. They started bringing in everybody that needed help without paying. And, uh, and everybody that was paying started getting upset. It's like, why am I paying if they're not paying? And they get everything. And so it didn't work. And so they almost crashed. Actually, they went financially so down that they had to figure out a new way. Kellogg actually helped set up the system in a better way, still being able to help to do benevolent work, to actually help people that are in need, going into Chicago and, and, and meeting people's needs down there and so forth, not charging for all of these things without, without getting into a financial crisis. So very interesting that the, the, the medical missionary work, Ellen White is very strong about it, the Bible is very strong about it. The message for this time is Isaiah 58, right? It's actually the, the text that Ellen White quotes the most besides the three angels' messages. Ellen White quotes the most Isaiah 58. Yeah. Isaiah 58 about, about helping the people in need, right? Being a, a father to the, to the, to the fatherless. And, and so forth. And also, um, Job 29 is actually the original medical missionary chapter. Job 29, I would recommend everybody to read it. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible, actually. Job, how Job did medical missionary work. Very amazing. And what the effect was on the community. And Matthew 25, right? I was, a f I was, I went, I, how does it say? Uh -huh, I was in jail, I was naked, and you covered me, right? You gave me clothes, you gave me food when I was in need, and so forth. That is actually the characteristics of the people that are going to get saved in the time of the end. Didn't even ask about theology, you know that? It's about, it's about, it's about medical missionary work. Yeah. And so this is, this is, I think it's very crucial that all of our businesses, whether we're in doing bakeries in Colombia. There's a ministry. This is what they do. Every single company, every single business that they're doing, Michael's project, every single thing that they're doing is all focused on, on doing benevolent work as well. And so the bakery has, besides having a Bible text, you know, I'm the bread of life, it's over on the, on the, on the product itself, they, they go on Sabbath afternoon, they bring a percentage of the bread they take out and, and distribute it to all the fatherless and all the homeless people on the streets and so forth and, 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 and pray with them and help them and so forth. And now they've actually started the, the, with the restaurant. They have, a, they have a whole bunch of things. Uh, but they actually started a benevolent restaurant. They have, they have a whole restaurant with servants, you know, people help, serving them and, and waiters, exactly, for a benevolent Restaurant. Yeah. Where is that? Colombia. Outside of Bogota. It's called the city is called Fusa. They have many things. They have a lifestyle center. They have like three, four health food stores from the from the community, from church members that have their own health food stores there. They have they actually set up a drug rehab center um, there. They have an elementary school, then they have a missionary training school with sixty kids, sixty adults actually. Yeah, they started another school now. They started, they just got two more properties donated. You know, this is amazing. Private schools? Church school, private school? No, no, no. It's all self-supporting, completely self-supporting. 
um, they got another two properties um, donated to them to start more lifestyle centers and all these other things. More, they're starting the third benevolent restaurant now in another city. I mean, just amazing. And God is just blessing them because they're focused on really helping the community. And so because the community, when he walks into, into the town, into the city, it's just amazing. It's, it's incredible. Everybody knows the guy. Everybody loves them. You know, they have so much, they've gained so much confidence with the community that when they stand up and preach, they have more baptisms than most of the churches all around, you know, because of this. So, so the medical missionary work is very, very powerful. And I would suggest in any business, in any ministry, that, that somehow we would connect that with serving the, the underprivileged. Yeah. Somehow, in some way. So, second, I think this is the second to the last point. I think. There's no cooperation. So, cooperation meaning, you know, we tend to like to just be on our own and do our own thing. You know, that's often why we start projects, start businesses, and start ministries. Is, you know, I can do it my way, you know. Um, but, but that doesn't get us very far. Unfortunately, um, we we had we needed to learn this very quickly in Honduras because in Honduras there were some some they call them dissidentes you know they were these independents you know that would take tithe from the church and they would just you know church was so upset at them and they were calling the church kind of Babylon often and so all this stuff so they were traumatized you know and so now we're coming in we're wanting to start a ministry. And so immediately, immediately, in everybody's question, we didn't do anything, you know. But in everybody's question, in everybody's mind, it's like, hmm, are they from them? You know, it sounds like it could be. And so, but thankfully, praise the Lord, we spent, Jose and I spent a lot of time. I Mostly, mostly, <laughs> I spent... A lot of time visiting the conference. I almost went to the conference every, I think every two weeks. I would spend at the conference having meetings with the president, sharing all the visions that we have, inviting them, inviting him to come and teach. And we do the evangelistic campaigns. We pay our tithe directly to the conference and all these kind of things we did so that, so that there was no questions. And thankfully, we never had any of these questions um, from the from the from the church from the church administration because we we were always there actually i went i didn't have internet we didn't have internet we didn't have electricity in the project so so i went to the capital actually and i sat on friday especially on fridays usually i would sit into the conference office in the entrance to rob their internet rob not rob but you know what i mean to get their internet <laughs> we we say this often in spanish anyway to get to get their internet, and and so I would sit there, and all every Friday, all the pastors would come to pick up their check, and so everybody, and you know how Honduran people, they're so welcoming and nice, and you know they're they're so pleasant. So so I was just sitting there, and everybody that would come in, they would need to say hi to me, they would need to talk with me, they would need to ask how is everything going, how's the project, you know. So everybody, every single pastor knew. What we were doing just because I was getting internet from, 
from the... I actually didn't do this on purpose in the beginning. But I realized, man, this is very effective, you know. I get to know, I get to know all the pastors in the whole conference, right? So, so this was very, very important to really be cooperative, you know, and integrate and want to be part of it. And for me, one of the biggest blessings that was for us to, 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 to work together with OCI. OCI, the leaders, they would come and visit us. They would keep us from doing all kinds of mistakes. And this, all of these cooperations, we got so many workers from them and from other ministries around and, and so forth. So cooperation is, is really a, a big thing. Cooperation with the church, you know, and this is, this is it's just basic, right? It's the, it's the foundation. If we don't do that, then we're really, really stuck doing our own thing somewhere out there. And, um, and I think it's very important to, to involve and really cooperate well with the, with the local organized church and so forth. Ellen White says, Enfeebled and effective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. Amazing. This is in Acts of the Apostles, page 12. Then, Councils on Health, 514, she says, the medical missionary work should be a part of the work of every church in our land. Disconnected from the church, it would soon become a strange medley of disorganized atoms. Wow. It would consume, but not produce. Instead of acting as God's helping hand to forward the truth, it would sap the life and force from the church and weaken the message. This is a very, I'm very grateful for this. If we just do it on our own, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's actually going to sap the life blood out of the church. Amazing, huh? Very amazing. So, these things are really what determine to be a supporting ministry versus as an independent ministry. We, ASI and OCI, all work only with supporting ministries, right? That don't take tithe, that communicate on a regular basis with the, with the local church uh, offices, um, that follow the 28 fundamental beliefs, have their main focus on the 28 fundamental beliefs, not any kind of other weird doctrines that, that uh, pop up and become so overpowering that the rest becomes unimportant and have a good attitude towards the organized church, right? Not criticizing the church. This is what characterizes a, a, a supporting ministry. And so um, that's, it's crucial, I think, to, to the success of, um, of our projects that we, that we start. And the last point is the last mistake, biggest mistake, maybe the biggest of all, right? This one can solve all the other problems because God can teach us all the other problems, all the other things, is that we don't listen to God. So the recommendation is obviously to listen to God. And you've, you've probably know, you've known all of these these things before but Ellen White really makes good points and the Bible make good points 
the five main steps on how to know God's will for our lives and for our ministries and for any big decision that you want to do. And the first step is in the context is, is very clear. The first step is to surrender our own wills, right? It's to surrender our own wills. It's not in the three ways that she says here. It's, it's the pre-step kind of. Surrender our own wills. And then come these three steps. It says, there are three ways. This is Testimonies, Volume 5, page 512. There are three ways in which God reveals His will to us, to guide us and to fit us to guide others. It's beautiful, huh? We just have it right there. It's so nice and so simple. We can know what God's will is. God reveals His will to us in His Word, the Holy Scriptures. And I would add to that, the Holy Scriptures is everything that is actually is written, that is inspired, right? Holy, the Holy Writings. So Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. And so that is the basic, that is the first, the first basic foundation. That's where the principles are revealed. It's not like, it's not like what I used to do when I was younger, trying to find God's will for my life. I'm like, should I go to this school or should I go to that school? And then I go like this. And I just read the text, and I'm trying to figure out how do I make sense of this. And then I just do it again, and try to find another text, <laughs> see if it all makes it gives a big picture. I don't know. Have you done this before? Am I the only one? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. We're all ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't know. But the Bible is written in a historical way. So these are all stories. And whatever story actually talks about the topic, if you're trying to find a girlfriend, you know, you just study the parts that it talks about courtship and marriage, right, in the Bible. It's one thing, you know, which book would you read trying to find a girlfriend, the right girlfriend, the right wife for you? Okay, okay, you got some. Proverbs 31, okay. Okay, okay, so good. So we have some, some people that have been studying into this. Good. Uh, yeah, and what about Ellen White books? You know, Great Controversy? <laughs> no, right? Yeah, messages to young people, Avenus Home, Child Guidance. Or, there's good books out there that are talking just about this. So that's where we need to look, not, not randomly, you know. Okay, so this is very good. Second point. His voice is also revealed in his providential workings. So providence, providential workings are open and closed doors. Right? These things reveal also his will. So it's Bible, that gives the principles, and then, and then the providential workings when the doors are open or doors are closed. And these are necessary things. These are not just random signs from heaven. You know, I have people, they wanted to come to Wildwood. Um, and uh, from from uh, different parts of Latin America, and they're like, they went up to the mountain at 4 a.m. in the morning. It's like if the sun, if the, the whole thing is, turns all red this morning, that means I'm going to Wildwood, right? And guess what? It turned all red, man. And she was just so excited. God had revealed to her that she's going to Wild. And then she goes to get her visa. The embassy. Right, and so she could not believe that it's not God's will. 
God had revealed it to her. And I say, well, providence means the necessary doors need to be opened. Uh, this means you have to have the money, you have to have the visa, you have to get accepted by the school. I had people show up here. Here's a, hey, I'm coming and taking the course uh, next week. I'm like, did you fill in an application? No. <laughs> okay, uh, well, there's a process to this, you know, you need to be accepted before you can come, you know. Like, oh, really? You know, it's like, yes, you know, if you don't get accepted, you know, that's part of providence, you know, that you can't override this stuff. Anyway, so that was a difficult situation <laughs> to deal with. Anyway, so that's providence. And then another way in which God, God's voice is heard is through what? The appeals of the Holy Spirit making impressions upon the heart. So the impressions of the Holy Spirit are, are also revealed. It's, it's mostly in, in quietude, right? In quietude, in our time of prayer, uh, out in nature, right? These are the things that really help us. And I would add one of the... One of the, the fourth point off of these three ones, actually it's a sub-point of providence. It's providence through people. Providence in things is here. And providence through people, you know, the Bible, Proverbs eleven twenty four, and so forth, talk about this, is the counsel of many, right? Is the counsel of the multitude of spiritual people, not just anybody. A lot, anybody will tell you all kinds of things, but... but but uh, of, of spiritual people. And those are the four major points with, this, with the pre-step, right, of surrendering everything. Um, and if we do that, then you can be sure that you're, you're actually following God's will, right, if we're surrendering everything. Oh, here I got it. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Yeah, those are the five steps in knowing God's will for our lives. Surrender, scriptures, impressions, the providence, and then counsel from spiritual people, which is part of, it's kind of part of providence. Have you seen Kurt uh, Atherton's book on this? No. There's a whole book that he put together. Oh, yeah, okay. I think that's part of the, actually, the curriculum Probably. Of, Probably. The, of what we teach at yeah, yeah. Wildwood, and actually all the schools. Uh, most of our mission schools have this. So that's it. That was the 10, the top 10 uh, mistakes, top 10 pitfalls to avoid when starting a ministry. So who's going to start a ministry next week? <laughs> Yay! Amen, amen. All right. So I encourage all of you, don't get discouraged. These things, uh, they're not surmountable. I mean, they are surmountable. How do you say that? They're not unsurmountable. Um, and, and if you make a mistake, this is also the beauty of it all. Mis making mistakes is not a problem. Making mistakes is another step to success, right? You just learn fast. That's the key for, for entrepreneurship and starting ministry is if you learn fast, then you can adjust and learn from all the mistakes very quickly so that so that um, so that any no mistake will actually actually stop you and will actually bring you down. So so that's the beauty of it. The the righteous man falls how many times? Seven times. Seven times. Amen. That's a righteous man. Huh? <laughs>
yeah, yeah. We have a different definition of righteous men, right? Yeah, no, the Bible defines a righteous man falling seven times, but he gets up again. He learns fast, gets up again. This is, you know, this is biblical principles of entrepreneurship, actually. So you, you grow very quickly. You learn, you fall, you, you, you stumble, you get up again, and you do it better next time. And, um, and I, I believe we'll have some, a bunch of thriving ministries coming out of this group of people. Um, this afternoon. So let's close with a word of prayer and thank the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful for what you have um, taught us in the past and Lord that um, we pray that we might not make all the same mistakes that, that we ourselves or others in the past have done, but that we can learn from these mistakes and that we really learn from our past and um, so that we can really keep on track and become get closer to the blueprint and and be able to to really live a a a life of commitment and love and sacrifice for your cause and lord we know that that is what brings the greatest amount of happiness that we can ever experience on this planet so we're grateful for this privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.